Good morning. It's good to worship God, is it not? So to proclaim his praises, to sing of his glorious word, which he had the privilege of looking into this morning, as is our habit here and every afternoon. Uh, this is kind of a sad day. It's the end of the letter of James for our study, that is. And, and I think next week I'll just start again at chapter one. And if I come to the end of a study, I'm kind of like, what about that? And I forgot about this. And why didn't I speak about that? But anyway, hopefully it's been helpful to us in our walk with Christ with the many lessons there. So we come to the final study of the letter of James, chapter 5 and the last two verses. It's all that we'll read and consider this morning. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. And what a wonderful truth that his word never returns to him Void, but accomplishes that for which it is sent, in spite of the messengers sometimes. But we're thankful for God's precious word. If you have your Bible open there, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, says James, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. As we close our study in the epistle of James, we'll consider, for those who weren't here during the study or missed a bunch, an overview with a view to a final purpose, an overview and final purpose of the letter brought about by James in these last two verses before us today. And this must be the hardest book to give an overview for because James had so many ideas and so many things that he brought to the church and so many sins to watch out for. Our sermon title today is The Aroma of Christ, Instruments of Salvation. The Aroma of Christ Instruments of Salvation. We have a good Baptist sermon today. It's just three points. We consider in the first place the final purpose of this epistle. And with this, we're going to have a bit of an overview. And you may remember, in the first chapter of James in particular is a very popular and well-known passage as it started out with the reality and the certainty of various trials for the believer. And it's a call to perseverance under trials, not to have them removed, but to persevere through the trials for the great benefit that they can be to our souls as they develop steadfastness in the believer. And the correct theology of our trials and temptations are brought in this opening section. The trials of many kinds that come to us through many different means, but are ultimately from the hand of God. And the purpose is the strengthening of our faith and the perfection of Christian character, which will come on the day of Jesus Christ. There we also are taught that temptation to sin, which you remember James raises there, never comes from God, rather from our own evil desires. And the agents of these temptations to sin, as we know, are the world and the flesh 
and the devil as the scriptures teach. And yet we see in James that even these temptations to sin that do not come from God, for God never tempts anyone to sin, the Lord will use even those. The successful resisting of them or even the failure of these temptations to sin when we do sin and fall into sin to teach us confession and repentance and the mortification of our sin and will lead ultimately to our salvation. And I love the Heidelberg Catechism, I've told you all. It's on my wall, the first question and answer in Afrikaans. It was originally written in German, but the first question, the first answer to the first question is, he watches over me in such a way that not a hair will fall from my head without the will of my heavenly Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. That James has taught us. And the emphasis of this letter throughout is that the Christian faith is intensely practical. And if your faith is not practical and doesn't lead you to works, then James says it's it's a bit useless. It's not mere profession of faith, but faith without works, James teaches, is dead. It is futile to believe without the appropriate works as proof that our faith is real. And this is the kind of talk we get, straight talk, throughout this letter. If you claim to have faith, you must be doer of the, a doer of the word. Your life must match your doctrine. And then he moves on to the teaching of the tongue. And James sets out from this premise, unless you have self-control with your tongue, unless you can bridle your tongue, your religion is also worthless. And at the end of chapter 1, he defines true religion as what? A life of good works and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's an epistle of action, faith, and works. Faith accompanied by works supersedes profession of faith. No matter how well articulated or organized your theology may be, if it has not impacted every area of your life, it is in vain. That's what James says. Show me your faith, and I'll show you my works. And then there are warnings against worldliness and the passions of the flesh, showing partiality to the rich, neglecting the poor and the helpless in the world. These practical things, an arrogant presumption, you may remember, of our plans for the future success without a thought to God's providence and his ultimate will for us. Then we came to chapter 5, where we have warnings again to the rich of this world who gained their riches on the suffering backs of exploited workers. And then we looked at prayer. And we see the futility of meaningless prayers without a deep faith and dependence upon God. Rather than the fervent prayers of the righteous man, of the man who trusts in the righteousness of Christ, and the man who walks by faith, by this rule of faith, these are the prayers that are acceptable to God and have great power while they are working. Yes, so our little prayers and your little prayers, if you are righteous in Christ, and if you pray with faith and trust in your heart, 
They are powerful in their working. These are acceptable to God. All these precious uh, lessons, encouragements, and warnings concerning the sins of the church we have found in this little letter of faith and works. Have we not? Well, now, in these last two verses, which some commentators see as a kind of apology to the frankness and straight talk uh, brought to us in this letter, James states his reason, if you like, or real motivation for his strong words by the Holy Spirit to the church, and it is this. It is the final perseverance of the church by continuing to walk in the truth. That is the reason given, that we might be sanctified, that we might walk in the truth, avoiding these sins and living by faith and walking by faith and having the appropriate works in our lives as our theology and our faith about Christ impacts every area of our lives so that our lives are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And love is genuine and sincere and a love that gives and a love that shares and the love that is concerned. It's the final perseverance of the church. And he does that with a call to evangelism within the church to the church. Listen to the verses again. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And this is James' real desire. As it was Paul's desire and the other apostles' A desire that all will be finally saved. And that together with the apostles, every believer should walk, work towards their own salvation and the salvation of their brothers. For we are our brother's keeper. And we are the household of faith. And this family of God in the church is the most important family you have. I'll say that again. This family in the church is more important than your family in the flesh. And we are to watch ourselves, and we are to watch our brothers in the faith. The Christian sanctification and salvation are the great things that we should mind in the church for ourselves and for our brothers. And so the conclusion to this Epistle in these two verses is an exhortation to do all that we can to promote the conversion and salvation of others. And this is a directive not just to the pastors, well that's the pastor's work to bring back the straying sinner, but James does not address the pastors. He's addressing the church. Keep a close watch on yourselves, it goes for the pastors and those in the flock of God under their care. But it's a loving call to every believer to concern himself with the straying Christian, not to neglect the one who strays from the truth. And that if there is one among you who strays from the truth, bring him back. Convert him. Evangelize him. Seek him out with the love and truth of the gospel. And this action... And this responsibility, which is our responsibility, as we will see as instruments of Christ, 
will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. A glorious result when we go after a brother who has wandered from the truth. Let's come to point number two. Secondly, this brings us to consider wandering from the truth leads to walking in darkness. Wandering from the truth leads to walking in darkness. Verse 19, the first phrase says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. The Christian life has always been described as walking according to the truth. The truth, which is God's word. Jesus said, praying to his Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The gospel truth is the yardstick. And gospel light is the path. So that is truth that we ought to walk along with. And so the Christian life is described as walking in the light or walking in truth. What did the psalmist say? Your word is a lamp unto my feet so that I can see, so that I can stand. And it is a light unto my path so that I can take your word that I've hidden in my heart, that I can understand who God is and what he's done for me in Christ and what he expects of me and I can walk according to that light that has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, by his truth. Listen to the Apostle John. He talks in this way three times within three verses. He speaks in this way in his letters. In 2 John 1 and verse 4, John is an old man now when he's writing these letters. He said, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children at the church walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And then in, second, in 3 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, you needn't go there. He says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Brothers and sisters, this is what should thrill our hearts, that our brother and our sister and our pastors and our deacons and everyone in the church, this should be the most thrilling things. They are walking according to the truth. They hold on to the truth, to the apostles' teaching and the, the faith, faith once delivered to the saints. And you know what? The book of James says they walk. They walk. That's true Christianity. They walk according to the principles of God's word. Well, in the same way, the inverse is true about walking in error. Because either you walk in truth or you walk in error. Incorrect doctrine leads to incorrect practice. And this is what James is talking about in these verses regarding the one who has wandered from the truth. And brothers and sisters, this is a sad reality in the visible church, and there is not a church on this earth, a visible church, that has not been prone to this. That there will be some who will wander from the truth. And we must note that James intimates that those who wander from the truth 
Are not the sinners and the outsiders and the ungodly and the Gentiles? Brothers, my brothers, he says, if any of you should wander from the truth. He's not addressing the unbeliever, but those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're following him. And it's of those, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. This is a possibility in the church and some will stray from the truth and you can err in doctrine and some of you will, says James, and erring in doctrine will eventually cause you to walk in darkness. Of course, this is the whole Gospel of John, the same one who wrote Walk in the Truth in the epistles in his Gospel talks about walking in the light and walking in the truth. Brothers and sisters, this is addressing the church and those who may and will wander from the truth. And you know what that is. That's a walking towards death. That's a walking towards death. That's exactly what it is. Sometimes the believer, probably oftentimes, steps into sin. He steps into darkness. And we sin every day, don't we, in thought and word, in deed. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this is more than stepping into darkness. This is a wandering from the truth which inevitably leads to walking in darkness. Because if we lose the theology, if we get it wrong, if we divert from the pattern of sound teaching of Christ and his apostles, then we are bound to err in practice because wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. That's why he describes this apostasy or this wandering from the church, uh, from the truth, as just that thing. It's truth that you have wandered from. And we've heard so many times, and we could probably all quote the verse from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 60, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching, on the doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And James and Paul are saying exactly the same thing in different ways. You will save yourself and your hearers, yourself and those that we bring back. Those from the church who wander from the truth. And this loving action will save their souls from death and it will cover a multitude of their sins. The sins that they have committed in the past. The sin of wandering from the truth and living in darkness and the many sins that they would have committed had they continued walking in darkness. And James says, when a brother errs from the truth, that is the gospel, the great rule and standard of faith, whether from belief or practice, you must not be afraid to show them their error. What's going on with so-and-so? He hasn't been to church. Or what's going on with so-and-so? He's not praying. And it's a friend that you have. Don't be afraid. Don't talk about him. Go and talk to him. Brother, you're wandering from the truth. And this will lead to walking in darkness. Matthew Henry says, There is some doctrinal mistake at the bottom of every practical miscarriage. 
And there are several references in the New Testament where members of the church, the reality of it, nothing was different in the first century, especially after the a wonderful apostolic age and the Christian church settled down. This problem has been in the church for centuries. And in the New Testament, we have examples of where church members deserted the faith or wandered from the truth or stepped into the truth and were restored or perhaps not restored in doctrine and practice. There was Demas who loved the world. There was Diotrephes who loved to be first. It was Ananias and Sapphira struck down dead by the Holy Spirit. But I want to point out two striking examples that illustrate this point. The first is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. You needn't go there. I will read it. You can write it down if you wish. And this first example, Paul says to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. What is it? Faith and a good conscience. Truth and walking the truth. Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This was in the church of Christ. Did you see it? The rejection of the exhortation to hold faith and a good conscience they made a mess of their faith because they rejected that encouragement there and in so doing became blasphemers since they rejected it, holding to the faith and good conscience. And what happened? They were excommunicated from the church. They were handed over to Satan that they may learn. And brothers and sisters, when we excommunicate somebody, which we have in this church over the years, it is so that they would be restored if they are true believers. We've seen this very thing in our church, where, where a number of people have been excommunicated over the years, and some members have gone after them. And the pastors have gone after them. And the members, as soon as we have excommunication, their name appears on our bulletin. We pray for them every day. And every Lord's Day, we pray for those that they may come back. And they have. Some have come back. And a soul has been saved from hell. And a multitude of sins has been covered by a member of the church, a loving brother, a pastor, a deacon, a friend, that they would be restored. We've seen this. Numbers of those excommunicated have turned back by the faithful witness of the church and its people, by pleading, by admonishing, by praying, by loving, until they turn back. The second example I want to give to you is, is a clear departing from the teaching of Christ and his apostles. So it's a good example of doctrinal error that led to ungodliness. And that's where it starts. Paul here calls it a swerving from the truth, which led to ungodliness. And that's in 2 Timothy 2, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 2, 15, 16 to 18, I'm sorry. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene, 
And then he tells you, among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth by saying that the resurrection had already taken place. A doctrinal error departing from the faith delivered from the example and from the statements of those who were witnesses to Christ. Now they're saying the final resurrection has come and gone. And so ungodliness prevailed and they were upsetting the faith of some. And here's a classic example of wandering from the truth concerning the resurrection led to ungodliness and walking in darkness. James's exhortation to the church when someone wanders from the truth is that it calls for evangelism among God's people. Bring them back. Convert them. Love them. Pray for them. Fetch them. The pattern of sound teaching Correct them and bring them back to the pattern of sound teaching, as Paul puts it. Convert them again to the truth. Make them see the error that is influencing their conduct, their sinful conduct, and show it to them. And when the scriptures say we ought to love our brothers and to pray for one another, it means that we do them no harm and we ultimately want to do the best for their souls. And so we do everything in our power and means by God's grace to bring back the brother. And this is a call for evangelism within the church. Paul says, in the light of all these sins, some swerve from the truth and reject us. Go after them and fetch them. If we are instrumental in the conversion of any, we are said the scriptures talks about us converting them. Though that is effectively the work of God, it is his work given to the church and to every believer. Go and convert sinners. Go and bring back the erring brother. Sometimes through gentle admonition or persuasion. Other times by harsh rebuke, public censure, or even excommunication. Handing over their bodies to Satan so that their souls might be saved. And you may remember, even among the apostles, they were not exempt from this. They had serious disagreements. And you may recall the issue of circumcision in Galatians and the trouble that that caused. And Paul found it necessary to oppose Peter to his face. And at what point did he do this? At what point did he speak up about this? Galatians 2.14 but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So you must be circumcised. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, I said to Cephas, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and do not like, live like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? Wandering from the truth leads to walking in darkness. Brothers and sisters, let this be a lesson to our own hearts. We were tempted to step into the, into the darkness. We were tempted to sin, and we entertain that sin in our minds and in our hearts. And let's remember that's walking in darkness. The believer, though he does sin, he confesses his sin. 
he repents of his sin, he puts his sin to death. But when somebody wanders from the truth, they will end up walking in darkness. Number three, this leads us to consider in the third and final place, the Christian's responsibility and high calling. Not just the pastor, but the Christian's responsibility and high calling. Look at verse 20 of our text. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There is a blessed outcome here to bring back the wandering, the one who's wandered from the truth. And brothers and sisters, we may, must say here too, because we do not know. Only God knows who the elect are. Do you know? No, there are signs that we can see that someone is a believer. But what is the final test? The one who perseveres to the end. Only God knows who the elect are. For in love God chose the church before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined them. And sometimes even those who appear to be pillars swerve from the truth. This is not a denial of the perseverance of the saints, but rather a blessed reminder that the Lord alone ultimately knows those who are His. Those who are the true invisible church will persevere to the end, and there is no power on earth, and there is no power under the earth or in the universe above. There is no power anywhere. That could separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, even for those who have stepped a while into darkness, even for those who have wandered from the truth and even walking in darkness. But those God brings back faithfully through the faithful preached word, through the prayers of the righteous, which has great power while it is working, and the witness and the pleading and the correction of faithful saints. And God will save those that are his. But he's made it your job. When somebody wanders from the truth, bring him back. Evangelize him. Point it out to him. But then, perhaps in your mind, immediately you say to me, what of those who wonder and who never turn back and apostatize? We have excommunicated, excommunicated some who have not to date returned. This too is a reality in the church. And note how the Apostle John deals with this. And it's based on this that only God knows those who are his. Only God knows those who are his, and you could fool people some of the time, and even most of the time, but you cannot fool God. To wander from the truth, never to return, is proof that they never belonged to God. It is proof that they never belonged to God. Listen to 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it, made, that it might become plain that they are not of us. The responsibility of turning a sinner back from his ways is laid upon 
the church. And only God can turn the heart. And only God can convert the sinner's heart. But he says, you do it. You do it. You go get the sinner back. The messengers through their preached word and every one of his children bear the responsibility and this glorious privilege to convert the one who wanders from the truth in faith and in patience. And one of the means that the Lord uses to preserve his people is the loving brotherly concern that Christians show to one another. That you cannot stand that a member of your family is sinning. That you cannot stand that a member of your family has wandered from the truth. And this is again Paul's charge to Timothy, and he emphasizes this to him. And I'll read this, these five verses, Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, I will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and their own sins because they fail to walk in the truth and they wander from the truth. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That is the commission to the pastor. And Christian, this responsibility is clearly every one of ours. By your witness and by your prayers, by your admonitions to a wandering brother, by your instruction and correction, Go after your brother who swerved from the truth and beginning to walk in darkness. Be the very fragrance of Christ to them. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance of life to life who is sufficient for these things. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. To convert a sinner is God's work. He turns the sinner's heart. He awakens him by his spirit. Yet it is ascribed to man, to the ministers and instruments of conversion to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We plant and water, and God gives the increase. And as we do, brothers and sisters, this necessary work that the Holy Spirit and the Word has assigned to us Look at the blessed outcome and reward. It is great rejoicing in heaven as a sinner who has wandered repents. Let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The one who has sinned because of swerving from the truth, all those sins are covered. And the soul, his soul is saved from death. 
and this is a great reward for you, and you certainly will hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the kingdom that God has prepared for his sons. Well done, good and faithful servants. Brothers, the greatest comfort and assurance in this important work that is given to the church, to each one of us, the blessed doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. This we can know with certainty when God gives us this task and the minister to preach the gospel and you are to witness and bring back the sinner from his ways. God knows those who are his. And here is our confidence. And here is our true True confidence, it is in Christ. It is in Christ, our mediator, and the one who intercedes at God's right hand for us. Do you remember his prayer? That perpetual prayer? But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Let him know, whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death. And he will cover a multitude of sins. Keep a close watch, brothers and sisters, on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this, for in doing so you will save both yourselves and your hearers. This work Christ has given us to do, this ministry of reconciliation where we preach the gospel, where we bring back the wandering sinner. This is work that glorifies the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And running to do this work gives us beautiful feet, for we carry a message of hope and peace and forgiveness and salvation. And Isaiah saw this. Isaiah saw the beautiful feet of the messenger who brings good news? Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says in Zion, your God reigns. I quote. For sometimes we go after a sinner and he does not turn. And sometimes we pray for years, for one who has wandered from the truth, and he comes back. I quote, And if we can do no more towards the conversion of sinners, yet we may do this, pray for the grace and spirit of God to convert and change them. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its working. And let those who are in any way serviceable to convert others know what happy consequence will be there doing this. They may take great comfort in it at present. They will meet with a crown at the last because a soul was saved from death and a multitude of sins. And God has given us this work to do. He who thus converts a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. Oh, brothers and sisters, in this little text, there is great comfort. We learn also that though our sins are many, even a multitude, yet they may be hidden. 
and pardoned. And that when sin is turned from or forsaken, it will be hidden. Never to appear in judgment against us. Let people contrive to cover or excuse their sin as they will. There is no way effectually and finally to hide it except by forsaking it. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch ourselves. We need to forsake sin and we need to go after the one who wanders from the truth. Take your responsibility and your high calling seriously. The effects of these faithful labors and prayers have the most blessed and assured eternal outcome. The saving of the souls from death and the forgiveness of a multitude of sins. This brings glory to God and to Christ through your faithful labors and the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And if you're sitting here today and these things are strange messages to you, I say to you today, if you do not have Christ, then you are walking to death. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will come into a family that loves you. You will come into a family whose great concern in this family is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our hope in our final salvation. For in Christ's hands, no one can ever pluck us away. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. How sweet your word has been to every one of us sitting here. For there was a time when we walked in darkness. There was a time when each one of us were in our sin and in our sorrow. There was a time when we were walking according to the powers of this dark world and not according to your truth. How we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice on the cross. Oh, Lord, we want to serve you better. We want to obey you perfectly. Help us through your word and by your spirit to watch our walk, to watch our doctrine closely, and to love one another deeply, to care for one another. And if one wanders from the truth, to take our responsibility seriously, knowing that you have prayed that your people's faith would not fail. Glorify your name, we pray, in the church through the preaching of the gospel, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.